0: You let others know that you've arrived, that you are worthy of that position. You are worthy of being in that room. It allows you to be seen and for you to see yourself and acknowledge. And when you do that, your confidence soars.
1: Welcome to The Art of Speaking Up, a podcast that empowers professional women to rise. I'm your host, Jessica Guzik. And in this show, I take you undercover into the stories and lessons that I learned, sometimes the hard way, throughout my career. I also talk with working women, leaders, and coaches to show you that no matter what your struggle is and no matter what your career goals are, you already have all the talent that you need to succeed. Welcome to the show. It is so good to have you listening. Thank you for tuning in once again. I have been so excited to share this conversation with you because when I interviewed today's guest about her career and some of her struggles and some of her learnings and stories that she wants to share, I felt so inspired by her and so touched and intrigued by everything that she shared with me in this conversation. And I know that so many who listen to this show are wanting to feel stronger, more confident, and more centered in who we are. And I think a lot of us, we want to have this confidence from a very internal place. We don't want it to feel shaky and wobbly, and we don't want our confidence in the way we feel to depend on what other people think of us and to be so hooked into and so dependent on us getting feedback and praise and all of these things from the outside world. I think what a lot of us are looking for is that inner core strength that is unshakable. And Kali herself and her stories and her advice are all around that. I am super excited to have my very first ever guest who's in the medical field, and you'll learn much more about her story. But I know that there are some of you listening who are in that field. So I hope that this is interesting and relatable to you. And she shares not only about her career growth and her progression and her mindset, but also some of the challenges that she's faced as a Muslim woman who wanted to build a successful career as a surgeon and have a family at the same time, she broke a lot of norms that exist in her field and forged ahead and stayed true to her vision and what she wanted for her life. And this conversation is all about those decisions and the stories and the learning and the strength that she accumulated along that journey. I absolutely love this conversation and I've been so eager to share it sooner. The only reason I haven't shared it sooner is because Kali is launching her very own podcast and I wanted to wait to put this episode out into the world so I could tell you what her podcast is and so you could have a chance to check it out and listen to it. And it is finally here. Kali's podcast is called the Professional Muslim Woman Podcast, and I will link it below so that you can check it out, take a listen, subscribe to her show. And with that, let's meet Kali. I am so excited for you to hear this conversation. I'm so excited for you to check out her show. Here's my interview with her, and enjoy. Enjoy. My name
0: is Kali Hussein. I'm a trauma surgeon. Um, I've been doing this for about 10 years now. And I'm also a mother of six. So <laughs> try and stay very busy.
1: Amazing. And for anyone out there who doesn't know exactly what a trauma surgeon is, would you be able to tell us just a little bit about what you do? Uh, yes. So
0: trauma surgeons basically take care of patients who suffer trauma. So whether it's uh, being involved in a motor vehicle collision being hit by a car, falling from a a building, being caught in a fire, being um, stabbed or shot, uh, we take care of all those patients.
1: I'm super impressed. I don't think I'd be able to keep my cool in a job like that. So I always have a lot of reverence for people who do that kind of work. And a big theme in this show is personal and professional growth and development. So lately, I've been asking guests to share where they're at right now in their lives and their careers, where they're trying to grow or shift professionally.
0: So where I am right now is uh, I'm an attending. So I finished all my training, I did a fellowship in critical care. And uh, I had my kids while I was in training. So that was the big personal development and growth that, you know, I had to go through. And now I'm at a point where I'm an attending and, you know, I make a lot of the decisions myself. And so I, I feel like I'm at a point where I like to empower younger women. There are a lot of, you know, things that we can learn from our work and apply it to our lives for us to grow and learn from each obstacle or each um, step back that we take.
1: That leads really nicely into the next thing I was going to ask you, which is about what some of your learnings and lessons were earlier in in your career. And I'm curious how you might see that mirrored back in some of the younger women that you're trying to mentor and help lift up.
0: So one of the biggest problems with, you know, being in a male dominated field, especially in surgery, is uh, work life balance and family planning. And especially within our field of surgery, the the consensus is that you should delay family planning. And a lot of women who are interested in the surgery, in surgery, and the surgical subspecialties are advised not to pursue those fields because of their hopes of having a family at a young age. And one of the problems that happens is that you delay, you delay, and you delay. And that's one of the things, one of the topics that's really hot right now is women have delayed so much that now they're dealing with advanced maternal age, you know, having to deal with the complications that come with that and just basically putting life on hold. And one of the things I learned is, you know, I have have six, so I have an innate obsession with having kids. So that was one of the biggest things is for me to, to weigh between the two. And I have a very supportive family and I have a, a network that has helped me. And initially, you know, when I had my first kid, I was an intern and it was scary because, you know, as soon as you're pregnant, everybody assumes, you know, you're going to up and quit because that's been that's been the norm where a woman who's pursuing surgery becomes pregnant. And all of a sudden, it's, you know, it's either this or this, you can't do the two together. And that was my fear is that, you know, I had passion for two things. And I wanted both equally. And so I just had to bite my tongue a lot of times to just say, you know what, I have the support system that I need at home, I've, you know, worked on on building that, coming to work and having to bite my tongue and, and and just keep going and keep pursuing and keep pursuing. It got to a point where regardless of how many times I've proven myself, even after having kids and if, even after doing all of this, it was never enough. So I got to a point where one of the things I learned was, you know, I have to determine whether what I do is enough. And it's okay for me to make these decisions and have kids as long as I'm also doing my job. You know, I'm not neglecting one f- for the other, even though in, in both Fierce. Everybody says, "Oh, you're abandoning your kids to go to work." And at work, it's like, "Oh, you've chosen to have a family and prioritize them over your patients and your work." So you're stuck between a rock and a hard place. And I, and it was a lot of angst and tears. But through that, I learned that if we spread ourselves so thin, if you find yourself that you know you have two different things that you're pursuing, and you can find yourself giving all you have to both, and you're satisfied. That's enough, and that's one of the things I try and instill in young women to say: What is important to you? What is valuable to you? And are you doing enough to to pursue these different things? And that should be a driving force because you know, no matter wh- what you do, and no matter how hard you work, you're always going to have people pushing back and saying, "No, you're not doing enough, or you're not meeting you know my standards, or what or, or whatnot."
1: It really requires a centeredness and a pretty solid sense of self, I think, to go against the noise and against the outside, because I think it it can be very comfortable to just follow that. You don't ever have to question and you don't have to build as much inner strength. And I'm curious if that's a quality you've always had, if you have had to really build it and bolster it, or just how that's played out for you in your decision to do what you wanted, despite the fact that there was so much external pushback in the other direction?
0: So it's been something that I had to learn because, you know, I'm a Muslim woman. I wear a hijab. You know, I I, I make these personal decisions and I've, I've always wanted, you know, to pursue surgery. It was kind of like a personal experiment. You know, I would go for one thing and they would say, oh, you can't accomplish this. And I'd accomplish it. And then it was, oh, you can't accomplish the next thing. And I would pursue it and I would accomplish it. So it was little experiments that I was doing myself to the point where I said, you know what, regardless of what I pursue, I'm going to be told I can't do it. So I just kept pushing. And each time I, you know, disproved the, the theory that, you know, I wasn't going to be able to accomplish it and i proven it for myself, it gave me a little extra confidence to say, you know what? And I would look back at every single incident that I was told I wasn't, I, w- I wouldn't be able to accomplish. So I had to build it over time to say, okay, keep pushing until I no longer can. And I got to a point where I, I started filtering all those things out because, you know, regardless of what I did, regardless of what I did, it was always going to be, you know, it's not possible. It's impossible. I always tell the story you know, from our cultural standpoint, like, you know, as a Muslim woman who wears a hijab, you're supposed to be a wife and a mother and that's it. (laughs) You know, having other goals is like, oh, you know, that's fine and all. But once you settle down, you've settled down. And I remember when I got accepted to medical school, one of my mom's uh, friends told her, oh, who's going to marry her, you know, for you now. (laughs) So I got married and I was like, oh, but she's never going to have kids. I had kids and they're like, oh, you know, all that hard work. Now she's going to stay at home and, you know, all that time was wasted. And I kept pursuing. And after and after a while, it was like, oh, you know, she abandons her kids. She's a bad mother, <laughs> you know, and I come home and my kids know who their parents are, you know, who, who their mom is. And, you know, I have that connection with them. And so. no matter what, there's always going to be criticism.
1: And you're never going to get that big blue ribbon in life from anyone. And I think when that sinks in, it can be a weird feeling, but it's also freeing because it's like, well, I might as well do what I truly desire. Exactly. Exactly. Something you said really jumped out at me and I wanted to highlight it and maybe even unpack it a little bit for anyone listening. When you talked about, oh, someone said, I can't do this. Can I prove them wrong? Can't do this. Can I prove them wrong? I think that mentality. I'm not sure how you think about it in your head, but a lot of other women I've talked to almost say they make it like a game. Like can I get here? Can I get here? Can I get here? And I think that's a very powerful way to get out of a very stuck place or a place where you feel small to step back and say like this is a board game and I'm trying to get to this little square. How do I get there?
0: Oh, I I absolutely agree. It's it, that's basically been, you know, my whole life up to the point where I was I was looking for a job when I, when I was graduating and I had, by this time, I think it was my fellowship year. I had, you know, I had five, I was pregnant with my sixth and I had one board certification down. I was studying for my other one and I'm sitting in this interview and this person, because you know, there's clinical surgeons and there are research surgeons who spend like an extra two, three years doing research and publishing and things like that. And they go into having an academic career. You know, I really wasn't interested in that. My second thing outside of surgery was, you know, having a family. And I remember sitting here, having gone five years, having had five kids, having had my board certification, I had my resume thrown across a table and told, You've accomplished nothing over the past five years. That's insane. <laughs> yeah. So I look at that and I and I look back and I'm like, so I'm at a point where now. I've accomplished all the things that I've set out to do. And I remember that experience It was one of the most crushing, you know, experiences I've had and looking back at it and, you know, breaking it down and analyzing, I realized, you know, sometimes it's not, can I prove them wrong? You know, you've, you, you, keep going keep going until you've proven yourself, but you know, people will evaluate you based on their values and what's important to them. And if you're interviewing at an academic institution, their value, what they value is someone who does research and who brings in research dollars. And obviously I wasn't that person. So I'm sitting over here, you know, eating all this Mexican food and just, you know, <laughs> like, you know, going off and just, you know, venting to my sister. And it hit, and it hits me. We sometimes evaluate based on other people's values and goals. And when they see that, when they evaluate us and say, we come short, we come short of a different goal, not our own goals. So from that experience, I realized, you know, sometimes you have to stop and say, I don't have to disprove this person right you can prove so so much until you get to your desired position and then after that you no longer have to prove anybody wrong i was happy with you know what i had accomplished i wasn't setting out to be an academic surgeon i was setting out to be a clinical surgeon who takes care of the sickest patients in the hospital and when i when i'm off not doing that i'm home taking care of my kids that was my goal right i don't need to strive to prove somebody else wrong and do something that i have no desire to do
1: Absolutely. I think that that's really liberating and this is also something I would share with listeners about using your values and anchoring on your values when things get really really hard. So, whether it's someone who's questioning that you can do the things you want to do or t- telling you like you're not good enough, which is that's it's like total madness in my mind, but or even if it's like a difficult coworker. I think coming back to this question of what is truly important to me, I think mm-hmm. really help because then it's like, well, I don't need to please that person. I don't need exactly. to measure against their measuring stick because that's not my measuring stick.
0: That's what, that's one of the most liberating things. I remember it, it was a crushing experience at the moment, but it was one of the most, you know, liberating experiences that just expanded how I looked at everything. Cause not only did I look at it from my point of view, I also looked at it from, okay, why would this person go out of their way to say that? And I realized, you know what, it made me a better negotiator actually, you know? It made me a much better negotiator because here I was, you know, looking for my first job and I realized, you know what? No, I bring a lot to the table. So when I go on my next interview, you know, I set up tall and I say, you know what? What I'm looking for is a group that has
1: similar values to what I have.
0: Oh yeah, I I negotiated the heck out of (laughs)
1: every interview
0: and every contract after that.
1: I love that mindset shift. I deeply relate to that. I don't know if it was like this for you, but it was like, you know what, I'm going to take control and this is going to be more about me and my needs. And I'm not just here to make every freaking person so happy and convince them to like me. Exactly. Exactly. Such a powerful shift. One thing that I wanted to ask you was about some of the struggles earlier in your career, being more at the bottom of the totem pole. I don't know I don't know a ton of detail about how it works in the medical world, but I know that it can be very challenging at the beginning. And a lot of women that listen to this show are at the beginning of their careers and building that base of strength and skill and credibility. So I would be curious what that time was like for you and if there's anything you learned that you think might be helpful to other women who are listening.
0: So our field is very hierarchical. So when you're at the bottom of the totem pole, You are at the bottom. (laughs) I mean, there are times when, you know, you get sent to go get coffee and and, you know, you don't make any decisions and Yeah, I mean you get you get called out in front of everybody, um, you get berated in front of everybody. You know, I think they're moving a little bit away from that kind of environment. But one of the things that I personally struggled with was, you know, basically essentially who I am. You know, I'm a Muslim woman who wears a hijab. And so I had issues with family members and patients who basically didn't want me, to, you know, to be taking care of them. I've been called terrorist by one of my patients. I've been fired um, after operating all night long on, you know, someone who was bleeding to death. And and with with all these all this negativity, you kind of. And, and then as an as an intern, I started, you know, having kids. So not only was I, you know, the oddball out who's, who's who has all this baggage, and now I was making a decision to prioritize family. And then that comes with its own stigma of, you know, it's not very friendly because surgery is a team sport. And if one, one member is down, everybody else kind of, you know, has to take up the slack. So that kind of resentment built up as well. So it was a lot of things to take on, but one of the things I learned was how to maneuver through that. It was I felt like it was I was always like in a landmine, and I had to figure out how to maneuver. Like almost every interaction I had, it wasn't the friendliest. You know whether it was families who you know had no willingness for me to be their physician and then residents who were like oh you know anybody who chooses to get pregnant in a residency program like this is selfish one of the things that we learn in surgery is how to look at you know very complex problems like patient complications and things like that and how to break it apart and figure out things that you can fix so this doesn't happen again and so i started applying that to my life to say okay I have all these complications. What do I do? And so the one thing that I could control was myself. I had no control over anybody else, but I had control over myself. And the things that I had control over were, you know, my medical knowledge. You know, if I was made to look like the pregnant resident intern, who's also Muslim and a hijabi, who doesn't know anything in front of everybody, then obviously they would have something tangible to hold over me but if i knew my stuff if i knew my my medical knowledge was good my clinical care was good then you can hate me all you want you know you you can hate my my hijab style it it doesn't matter right so that was one thing i could, could control so i read and i read and i read every chance that i got and then my emotions you know i'm a surgeon so i'm very hot headed so <laughs> i had to temper down my emotions and not go off on people because professionalism is part of the, you know, one of the things that we're all evaluated on, you know, from a surgical standpoint, from every field, professionalism is important. So I had to work on my professionalism to not, you know, go off on people who are clearly being bigoted and, you know, prejudiced and whatnot. And I had to hold all that in. But one of the most important things that I did was I had a sounding board. Mm -hmm. I would take all those emotions and whatever happened at work and I would go home and, you know, whether it's my mom, my sisters, my you know, my dad, my husband, and I would express all my emotions and like just talk it out and, and find ways to deal with it. And, and so that at work I could, I could focus on my work. I could focus on my patient care. And when it came to interactions with especially senior you know residents and attendings, I focused the, the interaction on education. You know, someone who wanted to call me out for choosing to be pregnant, or you know, um, had specific things to say about you know my decisions or why I wear a hijab and this and that. I would focus it on patient care. I would say, you know, I read in the book it said this, this, and this, but clinically, I've seen this attending do this and this attending do that. You know, on my boards, you know, we take oral boards and like on my boards, if I'm asked this, how should I answer? And so it, I would focus the attention away from myself and from personal things to work. And that way, you know, you're looked at as someone who cares about your work and that's what you're there for. And as soon as it started getting into personal things, I would find a re- like a way to remove myself from the situation. So I think that's one of the best things you can do being in the you know lower end of the totem pole. It's it's difficult to to talk back and stand up for yourself when you're at that lower position, because there are a lot of things that you're sacrificing that you may not even know that you're sacrificing. But one of the things that you always want to point to is the fact that you care about your job that you care about, you know, improving performance or improving processes. And so when things start getting personal, or in a position where you're being belittled, you want to pose questions in a way that you're trying to learn, you're trying to make things better, you're trying to understand things better. And that way, you're seen as someone who wants to do better and who wants to improve, rather than someone who's going to be affected by, you know, personal issues or personal attacks.
1: I think that's so powerful, because no matter the situation, if you're under the same roof, working at the same place in the same employment situation, there's always a shared objective. And no matter what, you can come back to the shared obje- objective. And I think that that's super interesting and, and insightful, because I do think it can be very disarming to just bring it away from that sphere and into like yeah. the very immediate sphere of like, what are we doing here? And what's important?
0: Exactly exactly, and and a lot of people lose lose sight of that, you know you get busy with trying to prove people wrong, and you know I have no intention of convincing anybody of my personal decisions. you know, my personal decisions are my personal decisions. you don't have to agree with it, you don't have to like it, but it doesn't matter, right? You can sit there and talk about it all you want. It's not going to change what I do, especially like um uh, I was asked this at a conference, feedback, you know, how do you handle feedback if someone is has been attacking you or saying, you know, personal things, how do you learn from that person? And I said, you know, when you're there to learn something from a more senior uh, person, you're there to learn. Don't sacrifice your learning opportunity because of something personal. Like I can put all those things aside. And that's one of the things I loved about training in, in surgery is that you can depersonalize a lot of things because at the end of the day, you know, you're dealing with life and death. So, someone that I just had an argument with, I can go in the OR and, you know, operate on someone who's bleeding to death. And we can put all those things aside and you realize what's really important. All the minutia that we stick to and we say, oh my God, she said this, or oh my God, he said that, not important, right? What are you there for?
1: I love that and that's something that particularly fascinates me about your job. Like I work at a desk and I make PowerPoint slides and not to diminish what I do, but the downside is, looks very different I think as does, you know, what is accomplished. Again, not to diminish it, but in, entirely different and a lot of people listening to this also I think experience a lot of stress in their jobs and a lot of feelings like it's life and death, but you actually are in those situations and that is the work that you do. And I'm super curious if there's any perspective you can offer to women who are feeling very stressed, like the stakes are very high, but maybe they're in more of like a traditional kind of desk job. Like I'm in what, what might you want them to know? Or what might you say to them from your point of view?
0: I think one of the most important things is, and this is, this is a concept that I've developed that I try and and teach women and groups of women is evaluating each situation, each conflict, breaking it down and saying, okay, you know, look at all the parts that are involved. Who are the key players? Okay, who's saying what? How do they affect each other? How does it affect me? And what's the end goal that we're trying to get to and how does it affect that? There are a lot of things that we take so personally and think that it's going to have a huge effect on on, you know, whatever outcome that we're looking for when in reality it doesn't. So when you look at it from that perspective, when you look at it from a bird's eye perspective, you can kind of, you know, evaluate things based on their level of importance. You know, bickering here and there about something that has no effect on anything will actually steer you away from your objective. So when you look at it that way and say, okay, you know what, we can squash all these things. What do we need to do to get over there? Okay, and and, in doing that, sometimes you can take a leadership role and say, bring everybody to the table and say, okay, this is our goal. This is. What we're trying to do, and who's responsible for what, and that forces you to focus on the issue at hand, on the topic at hand, and get rid of all the other little minutia. I mean, that's what we do to figure out. You know, when when we have a complication, when we have you know a mortality, somebody dies, we look at their entire you know hospitalization, entire hospital course, and where they've been, and who evaluated them, and who operated on them, and who did this and who did that. And we, when we put the whole picture together, we look back and say, okay, of all these processes. What contributed to it and what can we do to change so that this doesn't happen to the next patient? And so that's how I evaluate almost every situation now is you look back and say, take a bird's eye view, take a bird's eye view and see how all these things interact. And then you'll see the little things for what they truly are. The fact that they're not going to have an impact on the bigger picture.
1: Those little things in the moment, they could just explode in our minds. And it's so true. It's not what we're perceiving. And I think that that stepping back and what you mentioned about leadership is so powerful. So much of leadership is self-regulation and understanding what's happening with us emotionally so we can get out of the weeds and see what really needs to get done. One thing I'm curious of is, you know, you've really gone against what outside voices have been telling you. And do you have moments of self-questioning or moments of like, I need to just keep giving myself a push. And like, what do you come back to in those moments?
0: I mean, there are always moments like that. And I think that that's also something that I learned as part of, you know, our training, you know, surgeons are supposed to be <laughs> supposedly, you know, all knowing and, and, and this and that, but, you know, we are one of the most self-critical um, groups of people there are. You know, when one of our patients isn't doing well, you know, we're always like, OK, what I do, what happened? Was it around, you know, my operation We're we're self-critical because that's how we're trained to say, OK, what did I do? What can I do better? What you know, what what could I have done better? And so there's always a sense that I can always do better and I can always learn more. I'm venturing out into outside of a little bit of medicine, writing, speaking, and things like that. And so there's always a little bit of, you know, self-doubt. I'm used to speaking in front of people because that's what we do in, during training when we present, you know, cases and whatnot. But there's always a little bit of, you know, being self-critical. But I always go back to th- the things that I've been through and the fact that I've been able to overcome, you know, some of the most difficult situations. I remember, you know, being, being on call one night I think it was like 24 hours. I was up for like 30, 30 something hours, and I operated on this guy who's like bleeding to death. And the next day, you know, he fires me. And so that was the moment where you know I, I felt like I've always been part of two worlds, and they kind of clashed. I've had one who told me, you know, you're you're supposed to be a, a you know a mother and a wife, stay at home and don't abandon your kids. And another one who told me, you know, you, you have kids, you prioritized family over your work. You don't belong here. And that night, that day, it, everything collided because I've done all this. I stayed up all night to to save a life. And now this person doesn't even want me taking care of them. So both these worlds seem to confirm each other, right? Seem to prove each other right. And so that was, that was a turning point for me to say, you know, what do I do? Do I stop? Do I just go home and take care of my kids? Or do I keep pursuing with the possibility that no patient ever wants me to take care of them? And it was... It was a tough decision for me to say, you know what, I've been doing this for, by that that time, I was doing it for three years. In over three years, I've had one person refuse, like completely refuse my care. Others had, you know, their questions and whatnot. But over three years, you know, one person, you know, the odds aren't that bad. And that loan isn't going to pay itself off (laughs) with me staying home. So, you know, I, and and I pushed forward and I kept going. And, you know, that was one of the, one of the times that I could have given up. I had uh, all the indicators told me everybody's right. They were all right. And I was wrong. And I put myself in this position where now I'm stuck. And there's a possibility that I did all this for nothing. And I kept going forward. And now, you know, I, I haven't had anybody <laughs> fire me for quite some time. And, and, and it just teaches me that there aren't that many things that we can change. But I've, I've met a lot of patients who are always surprised that I'm their surgeon, that I'm their physician. But a lot of them are pleasantly surprised and a lot of them are grateful because, you know, we're dealing with a matter of life and death. And these are situations where I felt like I've had the most impact on people. Uh, People have changed their outlooks to say, you know what, I've never thought I'd have a conversation this long with somebody like you. So, you know, it teaches you to look outside of yourself sometimes. And yeah, and that's the night that I that I look back to when I want to give up. Or when I, when I doubt myself and say, you know what, if I didn't give up that night, I, sh- I, I shouldn't be giving up now.
1: I'm very glad that you didn't give up. And with that, I wanted to ask you to share a little bit about your podcast.
0: Well, uh, thank you for mentioning that. Yeah. So another uh, physician and I, um, she's also from, you know, we're both from the same country. She's from Somalia as well. She's an internal medicine doctor. And, you know, one of the things that I always get asked, especially by young Muslim women is... How was I able to just basically not only come into this field, but thrive in it and, and manage to have a smile on my face? <laughs> and so so we've created a podcast for professional Muslim women because I think it's a it's not to just cater to you know Muslim Muslim women for any specific reason, but the fact that we we face a specific kind of bias. And prejudice in the workplace you know the hijab is a personal choice you know every woman that I know chooses it for herself but by a mere garment people look at you and think you know you don't speak for yourself that you don't stand for yourself half the time they don't don't think you speak English (laughs) it's amazing when I walk into somebody's room you know as a surgeon and I get introduced and they do a double take and then another double take and they're like no do you mean somebody else so i think it's important for us to kind of change the landscape and the perception that we have of of muslim women and i think by encouraging more and more i've i've had I wrote this article on Doximity, which is a social media platform for doctors, basically talking about my experience where it was titled, you're the surgeon question mark, because that's, that's always the question that I get asked. And I've had women, young women from all over the world reach out to me to say, oh my God, I'm considering surgery, but every person I meet, if all my attendings, people who I asked to write me a letter of recommendation are telling me to not pursue it. So how many other young lawyers are being dissuaded? How many other young entrepreneurs are being dissuaded? And that's the thing that bothers me and that concerns me is because all my life I've been told no. Even after proving myself that I was, you know, academically capable, it was no to the point where I was a board certified surgeon and I was being told no. So I think it's important to empower women. And, you know, I think anybody can listen to it and and glean all kinds of lessons from these experiences. Because when I talk, I mean, I don't talk just for Muslim women. I talk for all women because the things that I face, you know, family decision making that affects all women. Women surgeons come in expecting to put off having kids until after they're done, putting themselves and their kids at risk. So that's those are the things that I talk of. But this platform, I wanted to create it because there is no such thing like that for Muslim women anywhere. And the overwhelming message, you know, media coverage, what we see is Muslim women don't speak, don't pursue anything, don't stand up for themselves, don't fight for anything. And I want to change that, um, that that conversation.
1: I'm so excited for your show. And I'm going to link it in the show notes. And I would also love to link the article you wrote as well.
0: I will send it to you.
1: Amazing. And with that, if you're ready, I was going to ask you today's listener question. Okay. So I'll read the question and then give you the floor to chat with the listener. She says, many of my coworkers are respectful and nice, but sadly, there are several who are not who I'm frequently having to work with. I often feel belittled, not listened to, and like I'm outside of things and not one of the quote unquote cool kids. I would love your advice on staying confident even when I'm not being treated well. And for staying sane and zen when negativity is coming at me from others, especially those who are more senior or in higher positions than me. Sincerely sick of it.
0: Yeah. So this is one of the things I talked about earlier. You have to figure out, you know, what is your goal at work? One of the sad things is that there are clicks. We form little office clicks and you know, they're the cool kids and they're the ones that nobody else <laughs> wants to sit with. It's okay. It's okay. You don't, you don't have to be friends with everybody. What you want to do at work is work, do your job, advance, learn, move up the ladder. If that is your goal and you have to figure out what's important for you to get there. And you know, you don't need friends at work. You can get them someplace else. Oh my God. I, I'm going to, I'm going to sound blunt here. Um, do yeah. Sorry, (laughs) that's just what we do. But, you know, if friendship is important, to you have friendship outside of work, whether it's family, friends, extended family, whatnot, that friendship that you need, it it doesn't need to complicate your work. You want to focus on um, the task at hand. And if they're being disrespectful, you know, stand up for yourself. I think this is a quote from Maya Angelou. You know, you show people how to treat you. If you accept disrespect, they will continue to disrespect you. But if you stand up and say, you know, there are certain things that are appropriate, other things that are not appropriate, you know, you can start, start off with having a private conversation with that person to let them know that you do have a line that can't be crossed. And if they continue to do it publicly, then you escalate. I don't think anybody should tolerate any kind of inappropriate behavior. Women physicians get this a lot where, you know, the ancillary staff, they'll, if if it's a male physician, you know, he gets everything he wants, but a a female physician has to ask multiple times. And so one of the things that, you know, the way I do it is I, you know, I control a trauma, trauma bay. When a trauma patient comes in, you know, I'm the one directing orders and doing things and, you know, making decisions. And there are times when, you know, I'm asking for things and people are not answering me. And when they answer, it's in a disrespectful manner. And so I nip it in the bud right there and then and say, there is no need for attitude. I need closed loop communication. When I ask for something, you respond that you, that, 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 you heard me and that it's being done, right? Closed loop communication. And so whenever these things happen, nip it in the bud right there and then address it right there and then, and do it in a respectful manner when it becomes unprofessional and you're the loudest person yelling and screaming, even though you might be right, you're going to lose credibility. So maintain your calm maintain your composure, be professional about it. If it's something that was inappropriate, said, you know, just repeat it and say, excuse me, can you repeat what you just said? Put them on the spot, have them explain themselves, but don't accept inappropriate behavior. Don't accept disrespect and be professional about it. And I think that's the way to go about it. You know, friendship at work.
1: Is it good to have? Yes. Is it absolutely necessary? Not really what you said, the asking the person, can you repeat what you said? That is powerful because that is a totally neutral statement. And you're right. It forces them to revisit where they just were. And I'm going to try that out actually in the future. That's such a great little nugget. Wonderful. So I'm now going to ask you, the closing questions that i ask to everybody who comes on the show. So the first of the two questions is about the title of the podcast. It's called The Art of Speaking Up. So i love to ask every guest what speaking up means to them and why they think it's important.
0: Speaking up is claiming your position, i think. So we, you know, especially as women, we work up and work up and work up to the point where, you know, we're there, but you know, we don't sit at the head of the table. You know, we we try and sit to the side where we're not at the center of attention speaking up forces you to acknowledge your accomplishments to acknowledge your position and act accordingly i think that that was one of the things that you know thank god i trained in surgery because it kind of um emphasized the kind of you know the personality that i that i already had but there were times when you know you feel insecure and you're like i don't think i'm supposed to be in this position but i am and you doubt yourself, but. You know, there are times when I hear people saying stuff, I'm like, no, that's not right. <laughs> that's incorrect. <laughs> and when I speak up, it, it took me a while to do it with confidence, but it forces you to accept the fact that you are, you're authorized to be in that room, right? You're authorized to be in that chair. You might need to go move, you know, a little bit to the side and sit at the head of that table, you know, and by speaking up, you acknowledge it for yourself and you, you let others know that you know, you've arrived that you are worthy of that position. You are worthy of being in that room. So I think it does a lot more than just being heard. It allows you to be seen and for you to see yourself and acknowledge. And when you do that, your confidence soars.
1: I love that. I love when my guests give like a better elevator pitch for my show than I could have ever given. That was so beautiful. Thank you so much. (laughs) And anytime. (laughs) With that, we now get to do my favorite part of the interview which is the final question. And some context is I started the show because earlier in my career, I was really struggling. I was not feeling confident. I didn't really have a mentor or anything. So I started this show to speak to women who might be struggling in any way or who might need empowerment or inspiration. And I like to give you the floor to speak to listeners and share whatever you would want them to know.
0: One of the things that I try and talk about a lot is, you know, perception. We have all these different perceptions and I come with a lot of perceptions, right? I walk into a room and nobody can ever guess what I do or, you know, anything else about me. All they know, all they see is a garment. And so one of the things that I learned through, you know, one of the worst interviews I've ever had is how we take that perception and internalize it and apply it to ourselves, So, you know, someone else seeing you as incapable of, you know, accomplishing something, you see internalize it and you say no, and you use it as a force to motivate you and say, yes, I can. Yes, I can. And yes, I can. And to a certain point, it gets you to that. But when you get to that point, when you get to the point where you, where you um, accomplish what you wanted to accomplish, that perception from that person, from that point of view is still going to be there, right? You won't get credit. You won't get acknowledgement but you still maintain that perception. And one of the things I learned is there are times when internalizing those perceptions are important because they serve as motivators to keep you going, to keep proving them wrong. But when you get there, you know, you need to acknowledge that perception and you need to let it go. That was one of the perceptions that I had to let go because the one thing that I could control that I could always control was myself how hard I worked, how well I studied, how well I did on on my test, how well I took care of my patients. And when I did all those things and I had, you know, my resume thrown across the table, you know, being a board certified surgeon and being told I've accomplished nothing that crushing me and me feeling sorry for myself. The way I got over that was I had to acknowledge that, you know what, that is their perception and their perception is never going to change. I could accomplish much more, but I would still, they would still have that perception. So I had to acknowledge that perception and say, you know, in their eyes, you're never going to meet anything. There are people that just personally don't like you. They don't like your haircut. They don't like your face, whatever. You have to acknowledge that and say, you know what? I no longer have to fight to prove them wrong because in the end, what you want to prove is you want to prove to yourself that you can get to that goal. And when you get to that goal, you need to acknowledge your own accomplishments, own your own accomplishments, acknowledge yourself, Because if you keep trying to prove others wrong, you will never get to
1: their goal. I love that. Thank you so much, Kali. That was wonderful and so inspirational. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. A very special thanks to Kali for coming on the show and sharing her stories and her inspiration. If you loved hearing from her, check out her recently launched show. Again, it is called The Professional Muslim Woman Podcast. She recently put it out into the world. And I can tell you from personal experience that putting a new podcast out into the world Requires so much heart and so much effort and I think that it would be really cool if we could all check out her show, take a listen and show her some love and support. I will link her show in the show notes so that you can check it out right in the iTunes app or you can look it up wherever you're listening and let's give it a listen and go deeper into some of her perspectives and stories that she shares on the show. Thank you for tuning in. It is always such a pleasure and so special to have you listening. I hope you felt inspired and uplifted by today's conversation. There is sure to be another one coming next week. And in the meantime, I hope all is well with you. I hope life is going well. I hope you're feeling good and happy. And I'll catch you again in a week. Bye.